information about operating in winter weather conditions from both the airport manager and airport user perspectives. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. The calendar may say it's fall in the Northern Hemisphere, but winter weather has already arrived across many parts of the U.S., and that means business aviation flight operations must once again grapple with freezing temperatures, strong winds, and snow and ice that can all wreak havoc with their aircraft and the airports they fly into. To provide tips for dealing with the challenges of winter, I'm pleased to welcome a panel of guests today who are very familiar with cold weather operations. We'll begin with how airports deal with winter conditions, and joining me to offer their perspectives are Jonathan Siebert, Manager of Airport Operations at New Jersey's Teterboro Airport, and John Ostrom, Manager of Airside Operations for Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. John, what's the most challenging part about responding to winter weather conditions at MSP? I would have to say that the the most challenging is actually the most exciting, and it really is the unknown and the unpredictability of each event. Um, each winter storm comes with its own personality. You know, when you look at it, and when we prep for a snowstorm um, or for a winter season, you know, we know what we've got for staffing, personnel-wise. We know what we've got for equipment. We know what we have for chemicals that we're going to be able to use. We know that we're going to have operations during the snowstorm. But the biggest challenge is how is everything going to come together? You know, what's the rate of snow going to be? When you think about it, it really comes down to more of a, um, and I'll use the term of ballet, everything is choreographed. You know, our, our, our crews, when they go out, we know they have how they're going to plow that runway. They're going to plow it a specific way. We know what feeders we're going to have open at the end of that closure. We know how we're going to inspect that system. We know, we know everything that's choreographed, what we want to do. But what we don't know is what's going to happen into the storm. Fighting a snowstorm is all about adrenaline. And when you fight it, uh, when you come and get done with that snowstorm at the end of that 10 or 12 hours or 14 hours, you feel completely drained, but you also feel like you've accomplished something. John, your airport is part of the Metropolitan Airport Commission, which also oversees six general aviation airports across Minneapolis and St. Paul. What's different about fighting a winter storm at those smaller facilities? We've got a great management team out there with our reliever folks, and we also have a great maintenance team out there that work at the reliever airports are a dedicated and committed group. Some of the airports, you know, we're maybe looking at four plus individuals. Um, some of the smaller ones, you know, you've got one dedicated maintenance person out there and that maintenance person is, has got to do everything. So in many cases, you still have aircraft that are wanting to either depart or arrive at those airports. So you've got to make sure that those, those airports not only have a serviceable runway and, and taxiway system, but that they're also safe to operate on. In some cases, though, in some of the smaller airports, if there's not the activity, they may be able to wait till the storm is over and then be able to clean up the, the airport after the event. But each, each airport operates independently. And not only do they, they operate independently, they also operate as a team. So they will help each other out as much. So different challenges. We're fighting the, the same storm in the same local area. But in some cases, the outcomes can be completely different. Jonathan, please tell us a bit about responding to winter weather conditions at Teterboro. So I'll echo a lot of what John said. Each storm is its own its own complexity in and of itself, and each storm has its own its own challenges. But one of the things that Teterboro deals with uh, that's uh, 
And it's sort of a different vein is that the majority of our traffic obviously is, is 135 or 91. A lot of our operators are operating without a, the benefit of a known schedule. So when we're trying to plan out how a winter operation is going to go in terms of timing, runway closures and that sort of thing, we might have somebody that, that leaves from a, a not too distant airport. We might think that we have an hour to clean a runway and then all of a sudden we'll get somebody that pops up, you know, Bedford, for example, a private jet trip from Bedford to Teterboro is not a long flight. So we might think that we have an hour and then and then that gets cut down to, you know, we got 20 minutes to try to clear this runway, you know, before our next our next arrival. So that that can be challenging for us at times. And then comes by nature of the uh, the airspace that we're in uh, with the three major airports surrounding us, uh, Kennedy, LaGuardia, and Newark, obviously. So trying to vie for air traffic priority in, in that sort of environment is difficult as well, but we do our best. We're also fortunate today to have the business aviation perspective represented by Elliot Taub, CAM, an assistant manager for a Part 91 operator in Columbus, Ohio. Elliot, how does your flight operation prepare for winter weather at your home base and when you fly to destinations like Teterboro or Minneapolis experiencing winter weather conditions? For us, winter weather kind of begins in the fall, as we've found out over the years, it's best to really try to get an early opportunity to get our pilot group and our maintenance and uh, even our dispatch team together and just start talking about how we're going to approach the winter. It's a good time to sit down and have a, a refresher of our procedures, making sure that we are familiar with the OEM, AFM, cold weather section, and our own SOPs. So we do have de-icing capability through our FBO here where we are hangered. It really all begins for us in the fall. We'd be prepared for you know what's ahead because at least in Ohio where we're located, winter varies tremendously. Some years we have a lot of storms and requires a lot of extra work to maintain our schedule. And some years uh, we prepare and luckily we have very little inconvenience with the winter weather. So the main thing for us is just beginning usually right about now, October, sometimes even September, we'll have our annual training and we sit down and we discuss all, all of the uh, considerations that go into making sure we can maintain the schedule in a safe manner. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, this word from NBAA. NBAA Flight Plan listeners, the latest digital edition of your magazine is ready. Just visit nbaa.org slash insider and all the latest intel will be in your hands. We're back now with Jonathan Siebert, John Ostrom, and Elliot Taub and our discussion about operating in winter weather. Elliot, being that we also have two airport managers in this conversation, can you tell me the most important actions or information that airports can provide to your crews to help improve the safety of your winter operations into their airports? That's a really great topic because for us, you know, we do travel, you know, all over the United States, primarily a lot of Midwest, uh, Northeast locations. And what we've learned over the last couple of years as procedures have changed, materials have changed is really just communicating directly with the FBOs primarily because they seem to be the point, you know, that each FBO has their own procedures and materials. And we've also come across throughout being on the road and, you know, dealing with different operations that it does vary tremendously from FBO to FBO. And FBO procedures might not necessarily align with even the de-ice 
procedure. So when we do call ahead, we, we try to get as much information as we can, try to get the type of products they use, their, their procedures. And most of the time, the FBOs nowadays are very prepared. A lot of them have cheat sheets, if you will, for the pilots, just to kind of give a summary of what to expect in terms of uh, location, frequencies to communicate on products, which as pilots helps us understand our holdover times and, and things of that nature with timing. Because uh, John even mentioned before, it's kind of like a choreographed dance from his end. And it kind of continues on even uh, to the flight operations segment to keep the aircraft free of snow and ice and, and debris to make that all happen and get the airplane to the end of the runway in a safe condition uh, to depart. It really is like a choreographed dance. The other segment too of that is performance considerations, obviously with runway contamination. So we're always looking ahead. Luckily, we have better resources now, truthfully, that make it easier for us. Things being digitized nowadays, we don't have to really get into the big, thick you know, paper book and, you know, slam it on a desk and, and try to start digging through pages. We're able to run a lot of calculations really quickly to see if the airports that we're trying to get into are really the best options and just trying to be conservative and look at the big picture. And if there are other airports in a region that might be more suitable, you know, and might provide greater margins of safety, we definitely will consider that. And that leads right to probably the most significant aspect about operating in winter weather, and that's knowing the condition of the runway. This will be the sixth winter season in which the takeoff and landing performance assessment, TALPA, is used to report runway conditions. Jonathan, please tell me about how Teterboro reports runway conditions, and in particular, how comfortable airports and operators are in your experience with using TALPA. I think it is becoming more second nature now, at least on the airport end. In terms of how Teterboro approaches it, uh, we, we try to keep things simple and not overcomplicated. And then a lot of our efforts go towards planning for the end of the storm as well. So we focus a lot of attention, even mid-storm, at the tail end of the storm, thinking about our, our second runway. So while we're focusing on the main runway during the storm, advertising what conditions are existing, we're thinking about the second runway, which is generally our departure runway uh, in a snow event. But uh, we know that at the end of the snow event, once the snow is all done, traffic might have been slower during the storm, but there's always going to be either an arrival or a departure push or both at the end of the snow as flight crews realize, okay, we're, we're good to go again. Even mid-storm, we focus a lot of effort on what we're going to do with the second runway. So we try to time our full cleanup operation with the ceasing of the snow in order to provide a fully usable airport uh, as close to, to the end of the storm as we can. Combining that with keeping it simple in terms of advertising the TALPA requirements, it seems that it's worked for us in terms of uh, making sure Teterboro's as usable as possible during winter weather. Is that similar to your procedures at Minneapolis-St. Paul International, John? At MSP, when we talk about the, the TALPA, you know, we refer to it as RCAM, Runway Condition Assessment Matrix. And, and the outcome of that is to generate uh, RCCs, Runway Condition Codes. And so at, here at MSP, we also use what we call continuous friction measurement equipment. This, this equipment actually determines the coefficient of friction on the runways. So we use them twice during a closure. So when a runway is closed, the first piece of equipment out there is the, the CFME, the friction tester. That establishes a baseline of not only 
the conditions of that runway in terms of we're looking at contaminant type, depth, and percent coverage, but also the friction values. And then the plows go down, clean it off, and then the friction tester goes down there again, and then it's not only determining friction, but we're also determining the conditions to report into the digital NOTAM system to determine the runway condition code. And as I mentioned, the operator is looking at the contaminant type, what depth we have out there, and the percent coverage. And then we take that information, we input it into the FAA's digital NOTAM system, and it will then generate three condition codes. So for example, anything less than an eighth of an inch contaminant wise is normally going to generate a five, which again is associated in summer type conditions as wet. And that's based on that depth, which is n percent coverage, but it's normally based on that depth, which is less than an eighth of an inch. But when we're into active precip and we're having snow coming down at a half inch an hour or greater, we know that before we get back on that runway, that we're going to exceed that eighth inch limit. Because when you exceed an eighth of an inch, the digital NOTAM system will then downgrade that um, or change it because anything greater than eighth of contaminant out there will normally be a three. So what we'll do is we'll actually downgrade it. So even though when we get off the runway, the condition should be five, 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 with active precip, we will downgrade it to a three, 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 um, because we know that within 15 minutes of getting off that runway with the precip falling, we'll have exceeded that eighth of an inch. And so that's similar to how we do it. And my guess is Jonathan's team is doing it very similar to that as well. Elliot, how is TALPA and the runway condition reporting process working out for your operation? Overall, it's been actually very positively uh, received. It's been several years, as you mentioned now. And, you know, of course, initially with change, you know, there's some difficult transition at the beginning stages. But uh, overall, right now, it just seems like it's the normal way of doing business. And one thing I do caution with it, as with most things we've all dealt with over the last year, just due to the the reduced number of operations with COVID last winter kind of takes us back to the preparation aspect of everything. We even kind of recognized this over the summer where we were dealing with thunderstorms and, you know, typical summer activity. And we all kind of had mentioned, at least internally, that it had seemed like a long time since we had to deal with a lot of, you know, diversions or just overall summer activity. And we, we all recognize that it was due in large part to us not flying very much last summer. So we anticipate the same moving forward going into the winter season, which is why, you know, we have taken extra effort to just make sure we're, we're prepared for the winter season coming up now, just so it is fresh in our mind. And we just don't want to get caught off guard, especially when it comes to this. Jonathan, what tips would you like to share with business aviation operators about operating into an airport like Teterboro during winter weather? I actually have a couple. The first one I'll say, and, and Elliot sort of hinted at this earlier, uh, at least the FBOs, but know that at, at least at Teterboro, the FBOs are the conduit to the airport. And the reason we're here is is to get the flight crews, the pilots and the passengers in and out as safe as possible. So if you need something, let the airport know. We do our best to be uh, absolutely customer focused. And if you need something from the airport, reach out to the FBO, let them know, let them get to us. Or if you can get to us directly, let us know. And if there's a way that we can help you complete your mission safely, then then we're going to do it. Whether it's, it's uh, trying to time a plow operation or anything. I mean, obviously that's why we're here. As in everything else that we do, safety will, will always take priority. So 
One of the other things that I, I, I see that is that when the, when they rolled the Talpa out, that nothing ever changed when it came to braking action. So we actually still hear a lot of flight crews reporting braking action in, in terms of uh, what John alluded to is the the RCAM values is five five five. Is that the flight the tower will say say braking action and the crew will say five 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 or four four four. Um, so and it's a little bit of a misnomer. What is the correct way flight crews should report braking action, Jonathan? The braking action levels uh, are as follows. So the, the best braking would be classified as good. And then there is the four main tiers are good, medium, poor, nil. And then I think with Talpa, they officially recognize good to medium and medium to poor. So two, two kind of intermediary braking action values. It goes good, medium, poor, nil or some level between that. But it, 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 one thing the FAA is clear on is that the, the braking action is not necessarily directly correlated to RCAM value. The RCAM value is dictated by type and depth of contaminant, and the braking action is, is more subjective, what the flight crew feels physically on the brakes in the, uh, in the aircraft. John, I understand you've also been following ICAO's moves to standardize runway condition reporting around the globe. Please tell us about this upcoming global reporting format, and when will that be going live? You know, we in the, in the United States, we're at the front end, I would call tip of the spear. The FAA uh, took it upon itself because of, again, the accident that happened at Midway. And so we've been, we've been leading the charge uh, globally. Um, global reporting format actually goes, goes live on November 4th of this year. It's been a push for it. ICAO has been pushing for it. It was actually supposed to go live last November, but uh, due to the pandemic, they, they pushed it back. ICAO has been uh, working hard as well as a number of the other uh, organizations out there. You know, we've been, been doing the, the runway condition codes and that. And then in the format of the ICAO standard, uh, where we use the term FICON here in the U.S., uh, the term that's being used globally is SNOTAM, which uh, is not necessarily intuitive. It is if you are in a snow belt airport and what you're dealing with are conditions are with snow and ice. But if you're in a, an environment where you're dealing with contaminants such as sand and volcanic ash, or in some cases, even just water, um, you're still, they're still reporting it as a SNOTAM. What additional tips would you like to share, John? We like to think that we're, we're trying to keep on top of everything as the airport operator, but an airport is a large area, large expanse, and there's a lot of operations. We've got snow removal equipment doing all kinds of things, plowing, um, brooming, sanding, applying chemical. Um, and as the, the, the flight crews are out there, they're actually seeing what's happening. And I'm not necessarily referring to the runway. I'm talking about the rest of, of the airport. Uh, we, we focus a lot of our time and effort and reporting on the runways. But we have a tendency at times, you know, uh, as an airport, we try not to, but it seems like the taxiways and the aprons are second best. But it's important that we keep those surfaces in mind. And it's also important that we, we take care of those. And it's important that if you see something, say something so that we as the airport operator can actually fix the conditions. We want to make sure that the 
operators, the flight crews, um, everyone that operates in and out of our airports have safe surfaces and can have a safe experience. And Elliot, what advice would you give to other business aviation operators about flying in winter weather conditions? As uh, Jonathan and and John both said so uh, eloquently, safety is really the primary consideration for everything that all of us, you know, do here in business aviation. And uh, from our perspective, it's it's really just looking ahead, and that's why preparation is really the key. In my experience, our biggest issues and challenges with winter weather ops have been when we've been caught off guard. In large part, sometimes is often due to the weather forecasts. Weather forecasts are are all over the place, which make all of our jobs say challenging from time to time. Just because a lot of times when they're expecting you know a huge storm, it turns out kind of be a dud and we've all been there when they expect you know maybe no storm at all and all of a sudden there's six inches on the ground and it's just a matter of making sure you're accessing the information and just using it to be able to conduct safe operations. NBAA has developed a detailed educational resource at nbaa.org slash talpa to further assist business aviation pilots with understanding and disseminating field condition or FICON reporting. Additionally, NBAA's weather resource at nbaa.org slash weather offers a wealth of information about operating through winter and other adverse weather conditions. One last note, as supply chain difficulties continue across our country, those might also affect the steady flow of chemicals and other products used for both airport surfaces and to de-ice aircraft. So you might want to check with the airport and FBO before you head somewhere that's expecting snow or ice during your time at that destination. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking Alexa or another connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for a new episode of Flight Plan. Flight Plan.